0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show.
1: The two big questions going into last night's Syracuse-Duke game. Better known as the return of Zion. Two big questions coming in. First one was, what shoes was he going to wear? And the answer is, a different model. He went with a pair named after a point guard in Boston instead of a wing in OKC. And a certain shoe company went to great lengths to tell everybody about the great lengths that they went to to make sure that these did not blow out. And then a lot of people gave a lot of free advertising to that company because of that. But, of course, the biggest question of all was, is Zion back? How would he look? Well, to answer that question, is he back? Roll this. Cross court, it's Bayheim. And on Reddish,
0: the longer player, forced the pass, and now a steal by Zion. And a run out, and a right
1: hand! That sends this place into a frenzy. Learfield IMG with that. Back. (laughs) Back. It's like the guy never left. He had 11 of Duke's first 17 points. The opening of last night's game was one of the more impressive and electric things that I've seen in a long time. I mean, seriously, that's not hyperbole to make you pay attention. I mean, that is the truth. That is one of the most electric things I've seen in a long time. I mean, rust. Rust. Hell, the guy's never looked better. And he's not just exciting. He's well beyond that. How many times did he do something last night that had both the announcers and everybody at home watching lose their bleep? The guy at 21, he was perfect from the field. He had nine rebounds and five steals. 21 points, perfect from the field. Nine rebounds, five steals, and he did that in the first half. That's an all-time great ACC tournament game there. And he had it in the first half. And that was his first game back after injury. So you're telling me that guy was returning from a knee injury. Yeah, that or they went right back into the lab and he had some new parts installed. This dude's not even human, right? And I'll be clear about this too. Because sometimes when the media and the fans are hyping up an athlete so much and they say, hey man, he's not human, she's not human, it's actually demeaning. Because what it does is it devalues the work that, that athletes put in. It diminishes the crazy work ethic, the long hours of grinding and grinding to become better. And I know Zion's done all of that. So when I say this guy's not human, I mean, he's doing things that humans don't do. He's breaking my brain every time he steps onto the floor. But don't take my word for it. Listen to Syracuse head coach Jim Boeheim. He can better explain it than me. I've been in this
2: game over 50 years, and I haven't seen, I've seen a lot of great players. Um, there is, I, I'm not saying he's better than those guys, but he's a different player. He can do things that nobody has done in this game.
1: That's more than a half a century of basketball knowledge, talking. And that's a guy saying, I've never seen a guy like this. I've never seen this guy do things. That he's doing right now. I've never seen anybody do what this guy can do. And there's more. Check with Beheim's assistant, Alan Griffin. He told Yahoo, quote, he's like the Incredible Hulk. You ever see that movie where he jumps up and over people and he smashes them? That's what he reminds me of, end quote. And that's what he did pretty much. He jumped up and over and smashed Syracuse. He finished with 29, 13 of 13 from the floor, 14 boards, five steals. The first Duke player to go for 25, 10, and 5 since Christian Leitner. And as good a college player as Leitner was, he never threw down the nastiness that Zion does on a regular basis. Jones allowed to bear to what Zion. Blair! The rim. Reddish on the right. He'll take it. It won't go. Zion got
0: to the rebound, put it off the window, count it, and a chance for three. Now for Jones into the post, and
1: Zion cutting through, put it off the window, and in a spectacular finish. He is taking over here in Charlotte. And the thing about Zion is, it's not just about the dunks or being a perfect 13 13 from the floor, it's the energy that this guy brings. He does the big things. And he does the little things, hustling back on defense, getting his hands in the passing lanes, tipping loose balls, rebounds. I mean, even in that one area where he didn't dominate last night, the free throw line, he had a great description, quote, couldn't really throw a tennis ball into the ocean with my free throws, so I don't consider that perfect, end quote. So even when the guy's not perfect, he's perfect. He even conducted a post-game locker room interview with his teammate Jordan Goldwire,
2: Jay go first off, I'd like to say I'm
1: excited to be back on this, it's been a while,
3: but Jay go you really brought the energy out. Players, like, what was going through your mind when you were, like, on defense?
2: Uh, just come in the game, give the team a spark. Uh, I knew he,
3: he was hitting some shots, I just tried to
2: take away, not even let him catch the ball, then whenever he did shoot, just try to keep it here. Did you expect me to throw that full-court pass? Bro, I seen the ball in the air, I didn't even know. I just had to run and go get it, but it was a great pass. And then I seen RJ for the dunk and it was just a great play. Two solid plays. RZ, it was great having you back today. it expressed to me how it felt to be back on the court. It was great being back on the court with my
3: brothers. Uh, I really feel like I brought some energy and we got the win. That's what I'm most excited about.
2: And uh, also, you set a Duke uh, record, 13, two goals without a miss. Uh, just tell me what was going through your head.
3: My teammates were giving me the ball in the right places. Um, and I was able to finish, so that's simple.
1: All right, Duke Planet. This is Jay Gold. Man, that guy having much fun. He's starting to get the idea why he did come back. More on that in a minute. Meantime, Syracuse had no answer for Zion. Well, no legal answer because Syracuse's Frank Howard did have one attempted answer, tripping. The clip went viral almost instantly and it looked bad. You know why it looked bad? Because it was bad. Bush League. Complete and total Bush League. Howard said after the game, he did not do it intentionally. Quote, I'm not going to wait four years to get to this stage, to start tripping people. If you're a competitor, if you're a basketball player, it's war. And it's a way of war, an art of war. And I don't want people, or I don't want to win like that. If I got to trip people, try to hurt somebody, he's a great kid. And you know, it's silly. I understand we're in the era of clicks; Everybody got to get clicks, but don't do that. End quote. Listen, we're dealing with a college athlete. I'm not here to crush a college athlete. That's not my deal. Everybody does dumb things in college that we wouldn't have to answer for, myself included. I don't know what was and what wasn't in Frank Howard's mind. I'm sure the guy didn't show up at the arena last night with a plan to trip Zion Williamson. But in that moment, it sure as hell looks like he tried to trip him. Now, I'm not going to get all Kevin Costner on it and break it down frame by frame. But from where I'm sitting, that sure does not look like an accident. Maybe he wasn't even doing it consciously, but it looks intentional. It's not a natural move of the foot to get in Zion's way. And the only good thing from that moment was the fact that Zion did not go down and get injured. And it's a damn good thing that Zion kept dominating because that's the real story from last night. If he never played another college game after that shoe explosion on February 20th, nobody would have faulted him at all. But to hear him tell it, there was no chance that that was not going to happen. This guy was not going to leave his teammates. I
3: wanted to be out there every game. Um, You know, you see, I see my brothers out there battling, and I just wanted to go to war with them. Um, There was no question about it. I knew I was going to be back. Um, Everybody has their right to their own opinion, but I knew I was coming back the whole time.
1: In other words, thank you for thinking of me, but I'm going to do what I always do, dominate, personally, I couldn't respect that anymore. I said at the time, I was not going to tell this guy what to do. I'd respect him no matter what he did. I was going to respect the choice no matter what it was, but I'm still in awe. I'm in awe that he not only came back, but that he came back the way he did. This guy knows what's on the line. He knows what's at risk. Literally hundreds of millions of dollars, and he still wants to go out there and he wants to battle with his teammates. And not just battle, but do it at an amazing level. Because there is nothing cautious about how he played last night. This guy knows only one speed. Zion speed. Jimmy Johnson is my guest. Jimmy, good to have you back. How are you? Thanks, man. Good to be on the show again. Good to have you on the show again. All right, so you're about 48 hours away, Jimmy, from Sunday's race in Fontana. You're coming off a solid performance in Phoenix. How are you feeling right now, and what is the vibe around the team right now?
4: Yeah, Phoenix was a better showing. Um, There's a lot of new this year with the uh, new rules package that's come in with the higher horsepower at some tracks and the lower horsepower at others, but a huge arrow shift in the, the, the shape of the car and the spoiler on the back and some ground effects up under the nose of the car. So we're still trying to get our arms around it. Phoenix went really well. Vegas went re- went, went well. The second half of the race, we kind of lost touch and had a poor finish. Atlanta was a disaster. <laughs> Daytona with a different rules package altogether went really well. So, you know, it's just early. It's, it's hard to really say um, where we're at. I, I know we're not where we want to be just yet. There are some cars that are showing dominance, and that's, you know, that's what I want to be.
1: No matter how big or small your team is, Ferguson has got a winning game plan for pro contractors with thousands of plumbing repair parts knowledgeable associates, and the largest national footprint in the entire game. When the pressure is on, count on Ferguson. We're talking to you, Jimmy Johnson. All right, so since the last time you and I spoke, there has been a change at Crew Chief, and now you're with Kevin Mendering. Now that you've got a few races under your belt, what's that been like?
4: You know, it's definitely been different to go, what, 18 years, or I guess 17 years with, with canals. And to build the 48 into what it is, to really build our careers into what they are, um, it's been a shift. Um, it was time, it, you know. Chad and I needed to kind of go separate directions. Um, we're still as close as we've ever been. Um, I'm helping him, you know, as, as much as I ever have, and he's there for me as well. So um, it really was time. But you know, Kevin, Kevin's come in with a much different approach different personality, and a lot to prove as a young crew chief in the sport, and it's been going well.
1: Jimmy Johnson joining us. You know, that's not the only change, but when you've got a change in crew chief and you've got a change in sponsor, it can feel overwhelming to a lot of drivers. But from where I'm sitting, it seems like you've been energized by the whole thing. Is that right? And if so, how helpful has it been?
4: Yeah, I mean, I feel like the timing of it all was, you know, it was it was tough to lose Lowe's as a sponsor after the, you know, the time that we had together, and honestly, the same Chad and myself and Lowe's all started the same year together. So, in, in a weird way, it was like we we're turning the page on that chapter of the 48 and, and starting a new one. So, timing was good. Um, Ally is an amazing bank, great group of people that really like to shake up the marketplace and, and advertising, and uh, are doing so. And it's just been a, a great group to work with. So um you know we're starting this next chapter and
1: we'll see where it takes us right, so you got a, next, a new chapter and then at the same time you've got your own approach to it for an example last month dale jr said this of you quote jimmy's super fired up i don't know why i mean he's got a chip on his shoulder because people think he's done and he's reading on social media about people telling him to retire and he's washed up and he's got a hell of a chip on his shoulder And quote that's dale jr talking about you does that sound about right and do you have a chip on your shoulder this season
4: you know, there's, there's different levels of it that's right. I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily feel like I have anything to prove, and I don't let social media um, shape, you know, my thoughts or beliefs about myself. Um, but, you know, I'm human, and after a while you, you read enough or hear enough or watch dumbass comments on TV or the radio, and you're like, they have no clue. So, you know, that that part kicks in, and, and I've tried to um, – and I guess express myself at times in different ways, but none of it's changed who I am. Who I am at the core, and um, I I love competing. I love what I'm doing. You um, know, to even say retirement or think about it or think that my passion isn't here is just the furthest thing from my mind. So um, I just really look forward to getting back into that dominance that we once had to where I can be like, look, it's what <laughs> it me, you know, there's a lot to it. Sure. I'm a part of the problem, but you know, some are, some are quick to think that, you know, my time has passed or I'm too old or I'm not into it, which is just complete, you know, completely not the case.
1: I love that take that there are always going to be dumbasses on TV who say things like that and trolls on social media. And, Jimmy, you've always been one to express yourself. Like, in terms of social media, you actually engaged one of these guys on Twitter who said that you should retire, and your response was, quote, I'm far from done, J.A. It was an amazing response, and it went viral, and people started to make T-shirts with that line no sooner than you said it. What have you made of that response, and what do you think of the (laughs) T-shirts?
4: Yeah, the shirts were fun. Uh, I had some fans show up at the track with them, and um, then we were able to find out who was making them and offer them on our uh, our website. So uh, I see him occasionally at the track, and it's fun to drop that quote. Um, and, and, you know, I just can't wait to get the results back and just let the results speak for themselves. And that's the way I've always operated um, and, and certainly want to get back to that and just, just be like, look, just, you know, just look at the stats. Everything's fine.
1: Jimmy Johnson joining us He's the driver of the 48 and the West Coast swing concludes in Fontana this weekend. I saw you spending some time with my guy, David Goggins, back in January. How was that? How did the two of you come together?
4: Guy's a nut, man. <laughs> yeah.
1: He is too, man. We,
4: so Hendrick, Hendrick Motorsports had him come in and, and speak to our group to kick off the, uh, the 20, um, 2019 season. And I'm in the process of getting ready for the Boston Marathon, so when Hendrick was trying to keep him busy for a day, he came in a day early due to some travel, uh, you know, his travel schedule and such. Um, Hendrick Motorsports is like, hey, we know the right guy that likes to run long. So uh, we hooked up and went for 20 miler. Um, been able to get to know him some sense and have listened to his book and various podcasts he's been on and really enjoyed his message. And, and really the way he's had to overcome so much in his life. And I channel that from time to time when
1: I get in one of those moods. Jimmy Johnson, my guest, that's amazing that you did a 20-miler with him. For those who don't know Goggins, how would you describe him, and what do you make of his approach to life?
4: You know, when I first met him, I, I knew the name, and I, I knew the SEAL component, in fact, that he was a Navy SEAL. He um, was very respectful and, and kind and nice, an amazing athlete, super fit. Um, and then I kind of dove into the book and the stories and in the podcast, and I just assumed that he's always been, you know, this, this this stud of a guy and to understand his journey and what he had to fight for, um, even, even the moments of weakness when he wasn't the guy he wanted to be and how that motivated him later in life to recreate himself and dig in and callous the mind and all that. It's just really cool. And, you know, we, we all feel like we're in this big rush to hurry up and get somewhere and one point that he makes often that I love is that you know in life there is no finish line until you're you're six feet under you know you can't just be in the society that you think in your late 30s early 40s like that's that's the the peak of who you are as an individual you know there's a lot of runway left so you got to keep reinventing yourself and keep going and I'm in that space where it's like I'm far from done you know I gotta I'm i have a lot to prove and a lot to accomplish in life and and that message that he talks about often is really resonated with me
1: that's such a good way to look at it and I love that line about callousing the mind he always talks about that so Jimmy before you go that being said when you're at the top of your profession the way you are the top of your profession how do you look to get better what is motivating you still yet to get better every single day
4: and I think with experience you you just see patterns in your own personality um, you see patterns in your work environment, and the industry you're in, and um, even if you change industries, you know, I think you take something with you through all these experiences and, and kind of into some of Goggins' points about learning and growing your mind and callousing it and, and taking all those experiences to make you stronger. You know, I, I feel like I've, I'm just in a spot where I can use that experience in a very beneficial way and really ask myself the tough questions. Um, you know, we all lay there at night or whenever you go into deep thought and there's there's stuff that swirls in your head and I've become better at, at paying attention to those swirling thoughts and trying to figure out how to be better from it.
1: Jimmy Johnson, my guest, last thoughts. So you and I have always talked about the things you do away from the track and we're discussing this right now, but you're now a month away from the Boston marathon, which you're going to run in, your first full marathon. How pumped are you for that?
4: I'm excited. I really am. I'm also exhausted to be quite honest. Right. The uh the volume, um, the wear and tear from running. I've been cycling a lot over the last five years or so. So, you know, to get my body reacclimated to running and then to bump the volume up, you know, each and every week and I'm at like eighty miles a week right now for the last couple, um, I'm just I'm cooked. <laughs> so this is running stuff on the body. I'm really enjoying the challenge, and I look forward to experiencing, you know, one of the major sporting events uh, of the year.
1: 80 miles a week. The Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series West Coast Swing. That's amazing. It's concluding Sunday in Fontana, the Auto Club 400 at the Auto Club Speedway, 3.30 p.m. Eastern, 12.30 p.m. Pacific on Fox. Jimmy, great to have you back. Good luck with all of that, and I appreciate the relationship and you coming on the program. Appreciate it, buddy. Be well. Hey, yo. Remember 1989, the year the World Wide Web was invented? Why does it feel like the software that you use every day at work is still stuck in the past? Take a leap into the future by finding the right software for your business on Capterra.com. With over 700,000 reviews of products from real software users, discover everything you need to make an informed decision. Search more than 700 specific categories of software. Everything from project management to email marketing to yoga studio management software. They've got literally anything you need or want. I was one of those people living in the past, brawling with my software every single day until I checked out Capterra.com, and they brought me right up to date. Do the same thing. Trust me. You'll be happy you did. Go to Capterra.com Rome for free today and find the right tools to make 2019 the year for your business. Capterra.com Rome. Capterra. I'll spell it for you. C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A.com slash Rome. Capterra.com slash Rome. If you want to talk about Hefty, as I mentioned, that gal from Full House is not the only one having a tough week. The dude with the full belt is too. Hefty. Phil Mickelson took to Twitter yesterday, and it was not with one of those corny tweets that he always has. In fact, a rarity. A not corny tweet. A straight tweet. But it had spin. It had a lot of spin. In fact, more spin than that 64-degree wedge. Here's the tweet. Our family, along with thousands of others, used Rick Singer's company to guide us through the college admission process. We are shocked by the revelations of these events. Obviously, we were not part of this fraud. Our kids would disown us if we ever tried to interfere. Let me read that last line to you one more time. Obviously... We were not part of this fraud. Our kids would disown us if we ever tried to interfere. oh That really is an amazing tweet by Hefty. Hefty. Amazing because it's, first off, 100% not what he uses Twitter for. You notice what he didn't do with that tweet. He didn't hit a flop shot over some dude's head from three feet. He didn't high kick over Chris O'Donnell. He didn't showcase his calf muscles. He didn't clown tiger. He didn't drop some lame dad joke. And in fact, he did exactly the opposite. He was using social to try and prove that he's not a criminal dad. You know, like his dude Massimo. You know, the type of dad bag who throws his checkbook around at an admissions cheat to get their kid into a good school. You know, the type of bag who will snap photos of his kid on a Nordic track and then stroke a a check big enough to tell all of his friends that his kid got into a really prestigious school when that kid had no right even touring the campus much less attending school there. Now let me be very clear about this. I've got no idea if Hefty did any of those things. I've got no idea if Hefty is in fact that dad. I hope the hell he's not. And in terms of Rick Singer, it seems to me, and I might be wrong on this, but I think that he did some really dirty, greasy things. Pursued criminal activity. I don't think that he necessarily did it with every one of his clients. I'm not sure how many were dirty and how many weren't. I think the guy had, at some point, a legitimate business where he was doing it legitimately and did it legitimately with some people. I mean, after all, Hefty is saying that. Hefty said, we're shocked. Obviously, we would never do anything like that. Obviously, we weren't part of the fraud. Yeah, I don't know, Phil. I mean, obviously, given your track record, that's a bit of an overstep, right? You're hitting us pretty hard with this. Obviously, me and my family would never do anything like that. When you yourself have been in some pretty fraud like situations, you know, maybe you didn't stroke Rick Singer a check for 15 or 50 or 500 grand or even a million. But if I'm not mistaken, did you not stroke one to the Security and Exchange Commission regarding insider trading charges? I mean, hell, even on the course, you're a little fast and loose. Like that time you played ping pong by yourself on a green at Shinnecock and then claimed that you did it because it was, quote, strategy. So Hefty's saying that it's, quote, obvious that he had nothing to do with this and would never do anything like that and is shocked. Really is pretty rich, considering that. The only thing here is, it's not obvious. And when everybody saw his name connected with it, they were not at all surprised. You know what was obvious? That your name was connected to it. Hefty? But if you were wondering why this guy looked like this dude was cruising around Sawgrass yesterday, shooting 104th best round on the course, and looking like he had his mind on everything but golf, now you know why. Don't sweat it, big dude. Don't sweat it, big dude. Nothing ever sticks to you. Nothing. And this probably won't either. Nothing ever sticks. A hey, hefty? Nothing. I'm sure he'll be fine. So the reason he did that, if he you might be asking, well, if he didn't do anything wrong, why was he doing that? Why is he going to Twitter? Because he was like on Singer's website, hyping him up, seeing what a great job he did, thanking him for his work with his kids. Oh what what, what no way! That guy's dirty singer? We didn't know that, obviously. Oh, okay. Fletcher McGee is my guest. Fletcher, great to have you on. How are you?
2: Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on.
1: It's great to have you on. Listen, I know you're not looking to make it about you, but I'm going to make it about you in a minute. But that said, let me start at that conference championship game and the performance that you got from Nathan Hoover. He had 20 points in the second half. Let me start there. What did you make of how he showed up when it mattered most?
2: Yeah, Nate was absolutely huge for us. You know, on Monday night, um, you know he hit a ton of big shots down the stretch. You know, made all his free throws. Um, you know, we really we really needed that boost from him because um, you know Cam was in foul trouble a little bit, and I was struggling in the second half. Some, um, you know, and and Nate really you know stepped up big for us, and um, you know I think he really took us home for sure.
1: You know, it's also a good reminder that Wofford is not just the Fletcher McGee Show. I know that's something that's important to you. Now, you've been a part of some really good teams in your time there. What makes this particular group so special?
2: Um, You know, I think our team this year, you know, we really love each other. We do a lot of things together. Um, We just have great team chemistry. Um, You know, and and I think from top to bottom, you know, our team work, work ethic is as good as it's ever been, you know you know it's hard you know to get shots sometimes up in the gym alone because there's always some people on the team are are coming in and working um so you know it's just great, you know, even when you have good chemistry and when, when everyone's working hard, I think, you know, that makes a good recipe to have a great, a great team.
1: Fletcher McGee joining us. I'm going to get back to work ethic in a minute, but before the start of this year's conference tournament, the head coach, Mike Young, played a video for the team which included highlights from previous great Wofford teams and players from those teams with messages for your team. He said that you had tears in your eyes watching it. What did you think when you saw that video? Why were you so moved by it?
2: Um you know it was it was just really cool to see you know some of the guys I played with and some some of the other Wofford greats that I knew um you know get the job done you know and, and how hard you know you have to play and how together you have to play and you know I knew that our team you know was built to do the same thing, and you know that we finally had you know our opportunity to get it done you know it was right there in front of us, you know it was the seniors' last chance to do it, you know we've always wanted to win the conference tournament and, and go to the NCAA tournament. Um, So to just know that, you know, you have, you know, one more chance and, you know, you have everything lies in front of you, you know, and you control your own own destiny. Um, And so just seeing that from them and then just knowing, you know, how bad that we wanted to do it to just made it, you know, emotional.
1: We're talking Wofford basketball, Fletcher McGee. Now, UNCG had gotten you guys in the conference tournament in the past. What did it mean then to win this time and know that you're going to the NCAA tournament?
2: Oh, yeah, it meant a ton. You know, like you said, they ended our season the last two years, you know, so we knew that we didn't want to make that. You know, we wanted to beat them for sure, you know, to get back to them. And, you know, to go to the NCAA tournament, you know, to win the conference tournament, you know, it's just a great feeling just because, you know, I know a lot of people said we still might have gotten in and stuff, but, you know, to just solidify it, you know, by winning the conference tournament you know, that feeling of, now winning a championship uh, is, is, a, is very special.
1: Fletcher, take me back, because when I talked to Mike Young, we talked about when he was recruiting you out of Florida and the kind of expectations uh-huh. he had for you. Your high school coach, Bill Buffton, has said that you came to him initially and you told him that you wanted to be the best shooter ever. And he said, I was kind of laughing because I've had a lot of kids come in here and they don't put in the time, but you did just that. What put that thought into your head that you wanted to be the best to ever shoot it? And what were you willing to do to work to get there?
2: Um. Yeah, I think really when he came, it was it was a perfect storm because I was really just starting to fall in love with the game of basketball, and then you know he, um, you know, helped me with you know my shot mechanics, and he was helped me with my work ethic because he you know had the gym keys, so he could always get me into the gym. Um, and you know he had the resources, so you know when I when I told him that, um, you know you always have to have big dreams and, and big expectations of yourself um and you know you, it takes it definitely takes a certain level of talent um but you know i told him that i just knew that i wanted to you know do whatever it takes and, and not work anyone um and i think that you know he helped me you know establish that hunger and, and provided you know the help and, and the resources for me to try to get there
1: all right, so go back to that part about shot mechanics. I mean, there's some stories about what your jumper was like back in the day. Some people say that it was a little wacky, a little goofy, maybe mm-hmm. in like even a two-handed set or sh- shot put. I mean, what oh. was your shot really like? Were people exaggerating this and clowning you a little bit, or <laughs> did it really need that much work, Fletcher?
2: Um, uh, yeah, I think people were probably exaggerating a little bit. Um. I, I always played basketball growing up, so I didn't, you know, have like a, a horrible-looking shot Um but I definitely didn't have, you know, the right mechanics, you know, everyone, when they're younger, you know, you always kind of push it and use two hands and, and, you know, it's not, you know, the perfect form and stuff. So, you know, it was in between eighth and ninth grade that I, I was definitely strong enough, you know, to change to, you know, a one-handed shot. And I think, you know, Bo, it was definitely, you know, not pretty at all before. And I think Bo, you know, helped me get, you know, my right hand under the ball and, you know, not using your guide hand as much and, and all that kind of stuff, um, you know. But from from once I kind of got that down, I kind of created my own, you know, version of it, and then it, it kind of just kept evolving as I've gotten older.
1: Wofford headed to the NCAA tournament. Fletcher McGee, my guest. Now going back to work ethic, Buffton says that you told or he told you to come to the gym at 5 a.m. You showed up at 4:45 a.m. The next week, you asked if you could start at 4 a.m. Fletcher, 4 a.m. What were those sessions like, and where did that drive come from? Dang.
2: Um I don't even I don't know if it was ever that early. It might it might have been really really like that. Yeah, I I just remember you know going in before school um and you know wanting to get as, as much time in there as I could, you know, so we would just shoot on this thing called the gun and you know it was I think it's really good for people that are trying to, you know, groove their shot mechanics. Um so we would just it's, it's the thing where you shoot the ball into the net and then it passes it back out to you. So you can get a lot of shots up in a short amount of time, and so we would just, you know, go on that, and he would, you know, help me with with my form and you know where I was missing, and and kind of help me correct my shot. So you know, we did that in the summer some, um, before eighth and in between eighth and ninth grade, and then we did that in ninth and tenth grade some, um, as he you know continued to help me there.
1: All right. So when you were recruited, what was it about Wofford that made you feel like that was the place for you?
2: Um so the the coaches I felt like really recruited me hard and I just got that sense that they really wanted me here so that kind of um attracted me to the school and then you know I was visiting here and um I just really loved the culture that that the players had that the coaches had you know the community and and everyone on campus was so nice and, and just treated everybody well. Um, and I just thought that you know, it, felt like, just, it felt just like home and it felt like a family. Um, and It was just something that I wanted to be a part of.
1: We're talking to Fletcher McGee for a few more moments. Wofford going to the NCAA tournament. I mean, you've had an amazing, amazing college career. You recently passed J.J. Redick for second all the time in NCAA three-pointers. When you consider the fact that he is one of the guys that you studied on the way up, one of the best to ever shoot it, what's it mean to hear your name mentioned alongside his with some of the all-time greats?
2: Um, yeah, it, it definitely means a lot, you know, knowing that, you know, how much success he had in the college level, um, and, and to pass him is definitely cool, uh, you know, but I don't want to, I'm trying not to get too caught up in everything as I'm, you know, still playing. I'm, I think, you know, looking back at it, it'll definitely, you know, be something that is, is special, but, you know, I'm trying to just, you know, focus on, you know, the next game and, and whatever I can do to help the team.
1: I got that. One last thought. You could have left school after last year, and you actually did work out for some NBA teams like the Lakers. What was that experience mm-hmm. like, and what was your biggest takeaway?
2: Yeah, it was a great experience. Just to go, you know, to compete against guys that are, you know, trying to make the NBA that have declared for the draft or are seniors that are leaving. You know, it, it's great for you because you get to go against the competition, great competition, and you really get to see where you stand um and that was something that i think i really needed and something that was really good for me um one of my biggest takeaways was probably just you know learning how to you know operate better with the ball um making better reads off ball screens and then you know my defense you know being you know with my size just trying to you know learn any anything i can to to be as good a, of a defender as i can you know being tough and scrappy against some of the bigger guys um just you know learning just learning whatever I can and and taking away what I can to be better and, you know, apply it into my game.
1: He is a two-time conference player of the year, a three-time first-team all-conference player. Wofford at 29-4. They're undefeated in conference play. Selection Sunday is this Sunday, and they will find out then where they're going to go. Fletcher McGee, my guest. Fletcher, great to have you on. Thank you very much for the visit, man. Good luck to you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. This is one of my favorite weekends of the entire year. Selection Sunday, conference tournaments, brackets, first round upsets, the final four ahead. March Madness is officially here. It is time to bet with the best at my bookie. Hey, look, would you rather sit at your office desk or call in sick and then binge on the NCAA tournament when it does get here? Sometimes it feels great to be bad, especially when it's with somebody you can trust. And if you're looking for a place to get in on all the action, you can trust my bookie. You can trust my bookie. They've been in business for years, they're growing like wildfire. And the best part is, they pay out quickly. So when you do call that 12 over 5 upset this year, make sure you celebrate because you'll be pocketing cold, hard cash. March Madness is my favorite event in all of sports. It never disappoints. Place your bets with MyBookie right now before you miss out. Bet with the best only at MyBookie. Try for yourself by visiting MyBookie.ag today. If you deposit right now, MyBookie will give you a 50% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 just for entering the promo code Rome. That's the promo code ROAM. You play, you win, you get paid only at MyBookie.ag. Hello, Rex.
0: Hey, Jimmy. I hit up the mall yesterday, Jimmy, and it's customary. I headed to Mrs. Fields first to buy a giant cookie. Then I got my strawberry Julius. You know, some guys are into the orange Julius, but not me. I'm more refined than that. So then I'm walking around, and I notice I'm getting close to mall kiosk guy. You know there's two types. There's kiosk guy that gets right up in your grill And then there's Kiosk guy who doesn't even bother looking up at you and is playing some Gears of Warcraft game on this rig he set up next to the cash register. Unfortunately for me, I got the guy who decides he's going to sell me some knockoff Hugo Boss cologne and sprayed it right in my face. This crap smelled like anal gland discharge. Uh don't
3: like that car. I don't like that
1: cup. Not a very good car. I see what you did there, Rex. I see what you did there. Liz, what's up with you?
0: Hey, Jim, how are you?
1: I'm great. Long time no here. What's up?
0: Yeah, it's spring break. It's Woodscope's Friday. But you know, Jim, I like to stay up to date with current events. Well, I just caught that new documentary Leaving Neverland and, you know, it really is very horrific and sad. However, it's led to inspiring the Jungle's very own Toby in Houston to produce his own documentary, and it's going to be called Leaving a San Antonio Locker Room, starring Larry Brown's crank. And... That's not a
4: good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not
3: a very good call.
1: Liz. Liz, today is not the hack off. Jason, you are next. Jason, do me a favor. Get through the phone call. It is bad, bad karma to run three people in a row. What's up?
4: Well, Jim, it looks like I smoked Tyler out of his Canadian hibernation. And I've got to say, I'm disappointed. Judging by the way you talk him up and the way he hypes himself, I thought I was poking a bear. But it turns out it was more like petting a pussycat. All he did in his call yesterday was prove that his listening skills are as bad as his smack-reading skills. I didn't say fat chicks, Tyler. I said ugly chicks. And in case you didn't know, that's the reason they invented the light switch, bro. For a guy who talks like your country is so much more progressive and forward-thinking than mine, who's being inclusive and who's being a hater? What you need to do, Tyler, is get back to the low-hanging fruit that got you run in the first place. Tell us all that if a fat American breaks his leg, gravy pours out. War, the northern sando, consisting of bread on bread with just a very little moose knuckle slammed
1: in between. That's
0: not a good
4: call. No.
3: You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call.
1: Exactly what the hell is going on in this segment? Rex to Liz to Jason. Three egregious phone calls. God sham god. God great to have hey you me. on the show. How are you? Good, how are you doing? Man, Thanks I'm for great. me on the show. It is so good to have you on the show. Listen, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but why don't we start first with New York. You grew up playing basketball in New York. What is the New York basketball mentality and mindset? What's it take to be successful there?
3: I mean, it, it just takes being um, ultra-competitive because, you know, everybody's competitive in New York. Um, I don't care if you play basketball, if you rap, if you're in the business world. You know, the street guy, I think he's better than the professional guy. And, of course, a professional guy, I think he's better than everybody because he, in his mind, he made it. You know, he made a career out of it, and he's making money from it. So, automatically, he thinks he's better than the street guy. But the street guy, you know, he works hard, too. And everything is just ultra competitive. Everybody's an alpha male when you come in from New York. And I think that's the kind of rap that we have gotten since I've been in middle school So when I used to go to camps like Five Star or ABCD camp, like the All-American camp, they always like, Oh, the New York guys always think you know they're in charge of everything and things like that. So it's, it's just a habit. I mean, coming from New York, everything is just so competitive.
1: Gotcha, I'm guy got joining us. That's how it was. You guys did run things back in the day in New York. Like you came up in a golden era for point guards in New York. We're talking about Stefan Marbury, Ray for Austin, Ed Cota, and more. What were the battles like back in the day when you represented yourself in your borough?
3: I mean, I mean, it was great because you know every every borough has different styles. You know, I was blessed to be born in Brooklyn, but raised at Harlem, so I had a combination of styles and things like that. And, you know, just playing against Stefan Marbury growing up, which, you know, is a great friend of mine, you know, whether it was Kareem Reed, uh, Ray Austin, Ed Coda, you know, Shaheem Holloway, you know, more so, you growing up, like, most of the times, the guys that you're competing against is your friends, so most of it is like right. Like I played on the team with Ray and AAU. Of course, me and Stephon Alley played in AAU together. Me and Shaheen Holloway played together in AAU. So you know, it's just more about just repping yourself and repping your barrel and just just going out there just trying to be the best you can be at any given time and things like that. And even though
1: We're talking to God Sham God, I wanna pick that up and see if I can clear up that line. This is too good. This conversation is way too good. As I mentioned, a New York legend, a basketball legend played at LaSalle Academy, played his college ball at Providence College. He is currently a Dallas Mavericks assistant, and he literally is a global icon for his impact on the game, the way he teaches the game, the way people emulate his game, his legendary handle. There really is nobody quite like him, and I want to make sure we go back there. God, sorry about that. I want to make sure we had a good, clean line. But you were talking yep. about coming up in New York. Let me ask you one thing also. I mean, when we mentioned LaSalle, that was an era when, as you point out, New York ran everything, and New York players always did it. You and Ron test, in fact, were teammates at LaSalle. What were those days like?
3: I mean, it was good because like when, when Ron first got there, you know, I was I was, I was All-American and things like that. And he was up and coming, and he used to you know battle every day to get better and better. So then he became like a little brother to me. And, you know, once I, um, you know, my senior, my senior year, we was like 29-1. and one. And then, you know, it was like me passing the torch to him. And then the next year, you know, they went undefeated, won the States and things like that. And Ron's always been like the same player he is now. Like, he always been hard-nosed, tough defense, and just raw talent and things like that. So, like I said, coming up in New York, everything is like ultra-competitive. Man, one time we played the A, A- tournament in Rhode Island right before I went to Providence, and we played against Kobe Bryant and Tim Thomas, you know. And this is Ron Artest's first start coming alive, and he was like, "No, I want to guard Kobe. I want to guard this person, so so my name could be mentioned in these in these rankings and stuff like that." And that's just the New York side of, of us.
1: God gotcha. God joining us. Great story. I want to go back to Kobe in a minute, but when you mentioned that you were a high school All American, a McDonald's All American, your high school coach had asked you where you wanted to be, and you said just that I want to be a McDonald's All American. And then you go on your grind and you work at it. You were named a McDonald's All American, and you played in that legendary 1995 game. That game included. Marbury, Vince Carter, Ron Mercer, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, Anton Jamison, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Chauncey Billups, yeah. Tractor Trailer. I mean, dude, that is crazy. What do you remember yeah. about that game?
3: I, I, remember that. I remember that we were so close. You know, even in, to this day, I think we had the best McDonald's All-American class ever because everybody before they became junior year in college, they all was drafted in the NBA. And I remember... You know, like I said, we from New York, and at that time, like you said, New York ran everything, and we were trim setters. And I remember I wanted to get my ears pierced, and I went and got my ears pierced, and a whole McDonald's All-American team came with me and got my got their ears pierced. So if you look at the McDonald's game, you'll see all of us with Band-Aids on <laughs> our ears wow. because we, we, we all went and got our ears pierced. And the thing about that class is just how close we was because Kevin Garnett used to come to New York and, stay with me in, in Stephon Marbury in the summer in Chauncey Phillips, and if you look at us it, today, we, we're all close friends now, and things like that.
1: Gotcha. I'm God, joining us. Alright, so you mentioned Kobe. Right around that time, you were asked to teach ball handling to somebody. We'll talk about your handle in a minute, but that person that you were supposed to work with was Kobe Bryant, who was at Lower Marion. What do you remember yeah. about his game at that time? What did you teach him?
3: I remember, uh, like, when I first met him, I, I just thought, he was just a nut that like he would never pass the ball. And, you know, I was like, man, like, you know, because it's funny because when he first came to the camp, everybody was like, man, who does God think he's Michael Jordan, man? Who the hell do you think he is? He needs to pass the ball and stuff like that. Because he walked like Michael Jordan, talked like Michael Jordan, did everything like Michael Jordan did. So and his father coached at LaSalle. And I remember I was like, you know, you being young, you don't know. I'm like, man, it would be cool for me to go to LaSalle High School and LaSalle College, you know. And then when I met his father, his father coached some and we came close. And then he was like, yeah, you know, my son, he doing all this stuff. He's like, can you teach him how to dribble? And, you know, at that point, I'm still saying in the back of my mind because I'm like this big fish. And I'm like, man, he don't even pass the ball. I'm like, I don't know. So then I'm just saying anything. I'm like, well, I'll be there like 6 o'clock in the morning. If he want to come work out, he can come work out. But it's me thinking he's not going to come. And then, of course, he shows up. And then we just built our own friendship and like, of course I didn't know he was going to become Kobe Bryant. I knew he'd become great, but not Kobe Bryant. And it's funny because like I would never, like even growing up, I would never tell that story. And then like right before he retired, he was telling the, the Boston, the Boston Journal, he was like, cause I went to the game when I was coaching at Providence and he was like, Oh man, this is the guy that taught me how to dribble. This is the guy that taught me how to dribble. And it just, you know, it just went from there and it just, you know, became a life of his own.
1: Dude, lots of guys learned lots of things from you. God Sham God is my guest. And then you got my guy Jamal Crawford, one of my favorites. He said, quote, <laughs> A God Sham God type handle is an elite <laughs> handle. It's one of the best handles that's ever touched a basketball, end quote. So so where did the handle come from? Obviously you really worked hard at it, but how much of that is just a natural gift?
3: I think I think is uh I think it's hard work. Me preparation, and then it just all comes together because there was a point in my life I couldn't do it, And that's what made me obsessed. Like, when I when I was in junior high school, I met Tiny Archibald, and I didn't even know who he was. And he was, like, telling me how to play. And I was like, man, who is this old guy telling me how to play? Like, he played basketball.
1: Tiny Archibald.
3: And, <laughs> yeah, so then I went home, and I'm watching Below the Rim, and they got, like, Jason Kidd, Magic Johnson. But in the middle of the tape, this shows was, like, the old-time social piece of Pete Marriage and, of course, it shows Tiny Archibald. And I'm like, this can't be the guy that works at my school. Because, you know, when you're young, even now, you know, it's not when you're young, but even now, like, people think when you make it to the NBA, you're automatically rich. So you're not going to see somebody working in a hospital if they played the NBA. So I'm going to school. You know, he's he's our gym he's our gym teacher and our school coach. So I'm like, there's no way he's he played. He's a Hall of Fame person. He's working in my school. And when I went back I'm like, Why didn't they tell me you play the other day? He's like, Oh, you young kids think you know everything And then he was just then he sat me down, he told me he was like, If you know how to dribble and run a team, you will always be worth something to a team. And I just took it to heart and I, like I mean, every day I used to dribble like four hours, six hours a day and then go play and practice the moves that I was working on. I used to practice the move in slow motion. I used to get one-pound ankle weights and put it on my wrist and just dribble and things like that. And then what happened was I used to watch videos so much that i started start watching it in slow motion just so I could see people's footwork and things like that. And then I had these real long arms and stuff like that. So I just put everything into me, and then it came out the way it came out.
1: God, Sham God joining us. You know, and then there's the move itself, the Sham God. The move is so iconic; it's been named after you. Damian Lillard talks about how he used to study it and how different it yeah. is from every other move that's out there. But legend has it that the Sham God first came about by an accident. Dude, is that true? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, because I, I was like I said, I used to always watch film. So when I, I played the game against against a guy named um, Tyson Wheeler, and he had did something similar. So I was trying. I was trying to master that at first. I was trying to master that. So when I played in the Big East tournament, we played against Rutgers, and I tried to do. I tried to emulate what I had saw like a, a week ago, but I had totally messed it up. And then when then when I messed it up, I was watching film, and I'm like, well, wow. me and my friend Corey Wright, one of my best friends, he's a point guard in Providence College. I'm like, man, this move right here could work too. I'm like, I know I messed up, but it looked like it could be. And then. The, the move that I messed up, I went and practiced every night, every day against Corey Wright. He used to guard me, and I did the move over and over and over and over again. I didn't think it was going to become what it is today. And then one thing, one one day, I woke up and everybody's like, "Oh, I'm doing the Shamwell move, the Shamwell move." And I'm like, "Like, what is people talking about?" Like, because I did so many dribbling moves in my life. Like when I played the five star, I went to five star all American camp when I got MVP. And how the late Howard Garfinkel, who rested peace, was like, oh, this is the best dribbler of the 20th century. He's, you know, he said that on TV. So it was so many dribbling moves I've done, but I, I never knew what move they was talking about. And then I guess because of the NCAA, it was just you know, on primetime TV, you know, everybody just took it and ran with it. And then it just took over my life in its own. You know, to the day, I'm just so humbled by it because, you know, I played the NBA for 20 games, and I'm just as famous as people that played 20 years and things like that. And it's like my whole life, people have always asked me to show them how to dribble, you know, from Chris Webber to me and Shaq, to me and Chris Paul, and Chris Paul saying, you know, he looked up to me growing up and things like that. Those, those moments are so humbling for
1: me. Gotcha, I'm got joining us. I want to point out what you just said. You played 20 games in the NBA, but to your point, you're more well-known than some guys who played 20 years. In fact, it's international. I mean, Kyrie called it, quote, yeah. dangerous. Crawford called it wicked. Because you went global and you played overseas, everybody there saw the move, too. So what's it like? Yeah. It's not just an NBA thing or a domestic thing. What's it like for you to see players worldwide dropping that move?
3: But I, I just think it's, like I said, I think it's amazing, you know, and I think it's something that I could have never dreamed of, you know, and, and that goes back to what you were saying about God giving talent and stuff like that. You know, all, all the blessings and all the, you know, all the stuff I get from people is, is is totally from God and things like that, because like I would never think me going to these other countries and then them seeing me dribble and things like that. You know, I, I, I've been in Dubai and I had tell me, I only started liking basketball because you was over here playing. Like I only I used to love soccer but until I saw you play and saw you dribble the basketball you made me like basketball. And, you know, for me that stuff like that is a blessing when I see people from other sports. or well, people send me film of people doing the move but in other in other sports like and I'm like like how like how can people even think of stuff like that and you know for them to put it back to me it's just it's an amazing feeling. And that means that mean I did something right, you know, growing up and things like that. So I'm just humbled by it. I'm just, you know, overwhelmed.
1: Yeah, you did. One last thought. You're with the Mavericks as an assistant now, and you focus on ball handling. What's mm-hmm. it like to work with Luca? And when you watch him play, how bright is his future?
3: Uh, you know, I just think Luca's an amazing, amazing player. You know, of course, I know see he studies, you know, basketball from here. And just working with Mary, you know, just working on Cleveland with him, Jalen Brunson, you know, when Dennis, when Dennis Mrs. Jr. Was there, Harrison Barnes and what. it's just an honor to work with these people. Even one time, you know, worked on the Shane with Dirk, you know, a living legend and things like that, you know. Those feelings and those memories I will always have in my heart. And, you know, like I said, just for them to even let me help them, you know, whether it's Chris Dunn, whether it's me working with Isaiah Thomas, like Kobe Bryant, you know, different people and things like that just for them to even listen to me and want to hear my story and want to, you know, do things that I've done in my career, it just shows me, like I said, like I have done, I've done something right, and I'm just humbled by it.
1: You got one last thought. You know, we talked about New York City ballplayers, New York City guards, and then you mentioned, like, Jason Kidd. I talked to Gary Payton not long ago, and we talked about the kind of brand of basketball they played in Oakland. Like Gary Payton, Mm -hmm. Brian Shaw, Jason Kidd, J.R. Ryder, Damian Lillard. How does that Mm -hmm. Oakland like where do you come out on the Oakland style? Is that a different style? Can you when you look at it, can you see it and know where those guys were and where they played?
3: Yeah, it's like, you know, like I said, I study dribbling so much so I can tell when somebody's from, whether they're from D C, whether they're from Oakland, you know, whether they're from Chicago and things like that, because New York New York style is is so different because New York style always comes with a flair. You know, it always comes with, you know, growing up in New York, you always seen, you know, Jay-Z, uh, Sean Combs, and things like that. So you always seen people of high caliber doing, you know, things. You always saw fashion. You always saw style. So when you play basketball, that's, that's what you imitate. You always wanted the crowd to be a part of it and things like that. When you see players like from Oakland, you know, they're they hard-nosed. they straight to it. They get buckets. They're great players. When you see people from D.C., you know, they got a lot of stutter-step crossovers, a lot of bouncing around on their toes and things like that. If you watch people from Chicago, when I was growing up, I watched Tim Hardaway, Isaiah Thomas. If you watch the way they dribble, they dribble in the box. So they dribble close to their body so everything comes come directly up into the shot. If you watch people from New York, every you know, since I came out, like, you know, my crossover is wide and things like that. And then, you know, it trickles down to you know, AI, with AI crossovers, wide, you know, wide, wide open and things like that, and not close to the body. And that's where that flair and stuff comes in from.
1: That's why he's a New York legend, a basketball legend. I'm glad you mentioned Tim Hardaway. God, I used to love watching Tim Hardaway play. Mm-hmm. LaSalle <laughs> Academy, Providence College. He is an assistant with the Dallas Mavericks. God, sham, God, my guest. I could do that for another hour. God, I appreciate you very much. That was so fun. Thank you for coming on.
3: Yeah, I appreciate you. And like I said, I'm just humble. like, Come on, I'm on the wrong show. Like, come on, man. we could be better than that, man? Come on, man. I'm I'm
1: talking to God. Sham God. It's so good, bro. (laughs) Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. I can't do it. I'm too (laughs) tired. Welcome to the jungle. My name is Jim Rome. A very good Monday to you. Hope you had an outstanding weekend. I say the same thing every Monday because I believe that. I've got a good show for you. Let's get right at it. It is now officially over. Antonio Brown is finally out of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh! Yeah. Yeah. Antonio Brown won that trade. He did what almost no NFL player ever does. He won. He got over. Tip of the hat, Mr. Big Chest. Will Brinson joining us. When you look at this deal right now, is there any way to say that Antonio Brown did not completely get over on the Steelers? He's
0: Soft Pittsburgh and the Steelers in a locker,
1: Jim. I mean, this is an unbelievable power play. I don't know. I got kind of a soft spot. <laughs> Strangely enough, for Jose, there'll be no
3: more baseball left of the uh, <laughs> drug tested. Did, did you
1: ever cheat on J Lo? No. Would you ever cheat on J Lo? No. no. Do you call no. her no. bae? No. No. Does she no. call no. you boo? No. No. Why am I on Yahoo? Charles Omenohu. Definitely, this is number one on my list to get on the show with you. Mom Mag. I
2: watched it a lot when I was little. Uh, when you're on ESPN, definitely a uh, a treat
1: for me. The old man still has some heat, right? Yeah, now nah, you still got. You definitely still got it. You and you your wife. Buying a ticket does not give you license to say or do whatever you want. There is still a line. Racist garbage is not on the line. Racist garbage is over the line. This email says, hey, Jim, we're glad that we weren't the ones at the OKC Utah game with Shane Monday night. Regards, Shane's Tuesday through Sunday Wives. I'm actually a professional magician, Mm. and uh, I would love to come by the show one day and show you something cool. In a word, no. I can't think of a worse idea than running a magician through here. I mean, why don't we just turn this whole thing into the Delmar Fair? How about I just sit in a dunk tank and you can throw tennis balls at me? How about I ride around in circles in the studio on a unicycle? Next segment, I'm going to march an elephant in here and then walk on a tightrope. I think you were a little harsh on Try and understand. Try and understand. Try, try, try and understand. He's a magic man. Don't mess with Hart. You know I love the Wilsons. You know I love Hart. Email. No, no trays days. off. It's already been addressed. No trays oh. off. We're getting ready for Cincinnati. The foodie the Browns are killing it and the Giants are killing themselves that's what bad teams do that's what the Giants are right now a bad team
3: Jim, those people put Elpo on ramen noodles, and they call it a gourmet dish.
1: <laughs> everywhere you look, everywhere you go, there's a scam, there's a school to fake your way Uh-oh. into. But I don't, don't want, want your life. life.
0: One kid was a I basketball player, like it won like the Hong Kong Cup, but nobody was checking. They just got away with it. I
4: and mean, Lori Lockwood spent life. a half a million dollars to get her two kids into U.S. Sell the team!
1: Anything I should sell the team? emailed that Coke. And those hookers set me up in that hotel room, too. Signed, Mayor Marion Barry. And no need for anybody to come in here and say, quote, bitch, set me up. He's going to get me in trouble. Brandon Tierney, my guest.
0: Jimmy, thanks for having me on, brother. It's an honor. and a uh, big fan for a long time. You don't look old, but you're a pioneer, brother. So uh, you keep doing your thing,
1: man. Much respect, Brandon. Game, respecting game. I appreciate you very much. Brad Train Living is my guest. You get close to them, Jim. They stink like hell. Too. <laughs> I mean, these are awful, awful creatures. You
0: pig!
4: Um, so are. Tell me if you saw those in the middle of the night that you wouldn't be taken off to running into a guy's garage. I want to war
2: Brad tree Living saving the energy he uses chasing pigs so he can use
0: it to run from all the
2: fat chicks
4: at the Calgary Stampede. Come on, man. Get your head out of your ass. That's enough for Tom Cruise to walk right up to him and give him a double nostril afterburner. Tyler. You stink. Eric Weddle Rome, my man. Great
2: to be back. Great to be back on the show and shoot. Back home, man. It's it's uh pretty
1: exciting for me and the family.
0: Featured in Marlin magazine. I don't fish on boats, okay, Matt? I fish on a on a boat. Let
1: me tell you something, Matt. I don't fish on boats, bro. I fish on a boat. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> a right hand! Because there's nothing cautious about how he played last night. This guy knows only one speed Zion speed. Duke is Duke. Jimmy Johnson, my guest. Your first full marathon. I'm excited. I'm also exhausted. And I'm at like 80 miles a week right now. I'm cooked. <laughs> so- I'm fresh. I'm ready to go.
4: Hawk is eating way
0: too
3: much pie as he's training for the big race. But decision won't
0: I? It smelled like anal gland discharge. And it's going to be called Leaving a San Antonio Locker Room starring Larry Brown's Crank. Very little moose knuckle slammed in between. Like Forrest Gump's mom did. by banging the principal. Bad,
1: Bad calls beget other worse calls. God, sham God. Humble, Like, come on, I'm on the wrong show. Like, come on, man. We could be better than that. Appreciate you, man. Right. Thank you so much. God, that was awesome. Pie day.
0: Always a pleasure to join you guys. Hang
1: on, go racers. Sun's out. Guns out. Bill Buttercups. Bill Belly Chats. What's your take on it, buddy? Thank you. Goodbye. Sincerely. Take
0: care. good Good night now! Good
3: night now!